forever. Dog. Hey y'all, my name is Alex Burke and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the nation's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary, and this podcast will be an extension of both their reporting and of their mission. Each week, we will focus on major topics affecting the LGBTQ community and speaking with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. First, a little bit about me. I'm a journalist and host who's covered LGBTQ issues for more than a decade in just about every medium from print to video. I've covered campaigns, interviewed queer and trans movers and shakers, and now I am just so delighted to be breaking down the big topics and issues impacting our lives. And let's be honest, the past few weeks have been pretty terrifying and surreal on top of the past four years, but now we have a new president who believes that queer and trans people deserve dignity and respect and has pledged to institute policies that will provide protections and work towards equality. But Basically, we have some expectations to set about what's going to happen, which is why I'm so excited for our panel who can really speak to this political moment, what it means for LGBTQ people, and even more specifically about what it means for the many different communities and experiences that fall under the queer and trans umbrella. To kick things off, we're talking about how President Biden and Vice President Harris will impact LGBTQ people, what policies and protections they'll implement, and how they can reverse the damage of the Trump administration. I am so, so excited to be joined by the following panelists. We have Bill Browning, the editor-in-chief of LGBTQ Nation, Jorge Olivares, the host of Affirmative Reaction on Sirius XM Progress, and Lala Zanel, the trans justice campaign manager at the ACLU. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Um, I truly could not think of a more all-star panel to kick us off talking about such a big topic, um, because I feel like we're both taking a little bit of a look back at everything that's happened and led us to this moment, and then also looking forward um, in a more proactive way at what actually the Biden administration can do for LGBTQ people, which feels like it's been a little bit since we've been able to think that way. Um, But first, I really want to start off with asking everyone how y'all are doing, just because So much has happened in the past few weeks um, that I feel like I am just kind of struggling to process everything and and really just make sense of it, especially, you know, especially from an LGBTQ lens. So Jorge, how about you start us off? What's on your mind this week with the inauguration and LGBTQ people? Well, it's incredible. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. And it's so apt that you and I are speaking, granted, with with other panelists who I'm very excited to to be a part in conversation with. Um, but you and I were talking the day it was announced that he won, that Joe Biden won, and he was officially declared president-elect. Um, so be able to have this conversation with you now that we realize that he is the president. There's something that... It, there's a level of excitement that I'm feeling that I actually felt when Kamala Harris was announced as the vice president, uh, presidential candidate. Um, a level of excitement where I realized that, okay, there is there are greener pastures, there is light at the end of the tunnel, all of the darkness and despair that we have become accustomed to, either because of our queer identities or for our intersectional identities, that there is a possibility that we can remember what it was like to laugh, to be happy, to be joyous, to be optimistic and positive about the direction in which our country is going. And so I'm kind of in that space right now. I'm not allowing myself to to dwell on everything that took place in the past four years. Granted, so much took place um, that affected all aspects of my identity, specifically as a Mexican-American person. Um, But I don't want to be in that anymore. I've already been in that headspace for quite a long time. And I think it only benefits us as a community if we don't 
if we don't allow ourselves to to let Trump win again from the way in which he did before. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm having to reframe a lot of my thinking because there is just so much to get through when we think of just everything from actually uh, LGBTQ protections and rights that have been chipped away at in the past four years um, uh, to just then even the cultural progress that we saw happening earlier. Um, Lala, what's on your mind when it comes to the inauguration and LGBTQ people this week? I think that for me, I'm unpacking, still unpacking a whole four years and Though I am, you know, excited for this new administration, I have to be honest that I have lots of questions. We cannot forget that white supremacists had stormed our capital. We cannot forget like how that looked and how anti-black our country still is. We cannot forget how anti-blackness and misogyny and transphobia and homophobia and xenophobia has affected us with this whole administration. And we can we have to look at those lessons on how that was able to happen and to make sure that that doesn't happen again and to make sure that we actually can get policies and laws passed versus just executive orders, which are amazing and they are great, but we also need some actual policies and law to really hit and stick. And we need to start with this discrimination lens, LGBTQ and especially trans lens and starting with racial justice. That's what's going to unify this country is really, really dealing with the trans issues and the trans violence and really dealing with this horrible place we are at with race right now. It's scary. And then in a pandemic, it's from all the protests and everything. Like, it's been a long four years. And so I hope we just can take some lessons learned not how not to be. Absolutely. I mean, it feels like even this past year has been a long 10 years, you know, just even <laughs> trying to think about all the things that have happened in the past year that we really need to be working to address um, in the next four and beyond. Um, Bill, kind of give me a sense of your temperature uh, about this week with respect to LGBTQ issues and the inauguration. Uh, I'm, I'm with Lala. There's, I am really optimistic about it. I, I really think like Jorge said, we don't really need to dwell on the last four years. But I think after four years of just spending the entire time on the defense, I'm ready to get to work. Like, we've got a lot of issues that we need to work on. And if history is any guide, we're not going to control both houses you know, of Congress plus the presidency for more than two years. That's a lot of work we've got to get done right away. And we need to be able to hit the ground running. Yeah, um, I don't want to dwell too much on the past, but I do feel like it is helpful to understand um, in terms of the proactive changes that need to be made um, to think about uh, kind of where we are at this moment. Um, Lala, one of the big things you were talking about was, of course, the racial justice movement, Black Lives Matter protests um, over the summer. Um, And I I can't help but think about how, uh, you know, we have just arrived over the past three weeks at this moment where we had President Trump, who really... Um, empowered uh, white supremacy and empowered white nationalists um, and, uh, you know, made it okay for these people to be even more uh, public and overt than they had been in the past, never mind all the systemic ways that we see these injustices play out. Um, So what do you think uh, have been, taking a look back at the past four years, what do you see uh, as worthy some of the most harmful policies um, and uh, and kind of biggest changes uh, during the Trump, uh, the Trump years? from the Muslim travel bans, from taking the trans and gender non-conforming folks out of the military, from causing all trans health care and trans and services and systems, accessing shelters, accessing services, the census, so many things which cause hateful states to 
embark in their own policies like um, trans and sports. Like we lost a lot of couple of bills where trans kids can't play sports and just ID bills and all these just horrible things. But we have to remember we had done some great things because we didn't also just get a president, we gained some blue states. And so those blue states have work to do, as Bill said, to hit the ground running. And we have to work on what's the next plan to turn some more states blue. I think it's great we have this administration, but because of this last four years, there's so much horrible state work that Mm -hmm. has been done Mm -hmm. and it's continuing to get ready to pile up now as this administration is turning. And so I think it's federal, state, and city level at this at this point. We have we have battles on many fields right now because of of Trump mm-hmm. and his rhetoric, and the fact that he, yes, he did allow people. He put that message in people's head, but there were so many other instances that they should have been took that account. They should have took. They should have been took that social media account. We know it is because of race, and I need politicians and people in power to just say that. Mm-hmm. And that's, we can't heal if we can't acknowledge that race piece, that race played a part on how, and gender, because if it was a woman, it still wouldn't happen. We have to also be honest about that, that that is a factor. Mm-hmm. And that was sad to play out through the whole four years and even a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago to see mm-hmm. on TV. <laughs> Never thought I would see what my grandmother see growing mm-hmm. up. Um, Bill, in covering these issues for, uh, you know, for such a long time, and especially over the past four years in, in such a granular level on LGBTQ nation, what do you feel like were some of the most harmful policies that we've seen instituted in the past four years? Again, Lala is right with there were just so many different ways that the Trump administration found to attack LGBTQ equality. And I think some of the most important were the least noticed outside of our community, perhaps, uh, going back to how trans people can access a homeless shelter, to the rights of you know gay and lesbian parents to be able to adopt children, or what the very definition of transgender is or religious freedom. Um, they made a lot of changes that have a lot of ripple down effects, not just in the federal government, but then are used to you know to guide state laws, and those really need to get reversed quickly. Um, but unfortunately, they, they went through some of the channels a little a little quicker than would normally happen. And if there's one thing about Biden as as an institutionalist, he's he's going to walk it back correctly, which could take a while. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, Biden as an institutionalist and, you know, what he may be able to do. Um, Jorge, if you know. All of us here have work that focuses on different aspects and issues within the LGBTQ community. If Biden really uh, had to identify one main priority related to your work, um, what should it be? I mean, what's the big thing that you would like to see him do? I think, I mean, it's something that he's already alluded to that he would take up in his first 100 days, which is immigration. I'm somebody who grew up on the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, Immigration is also an LGBTQ issue. There are a lot of undocu-queer folks out there trying to figure out their placement in the system. Um, And it's exciting to hear Biden, who apologized about what happened during the Obama administration. And yes, there'll be a lot of Latinx activists who will say, you know, a little too late because of the deportations that happened under the Obama administration. But if Biden is saying that we are going to have a path to citizenship for all these folks, most of whom are frontline workers right now who are doing all the work that Mm -hmm. few people are getting the credit for doing, um, I think that's somewhat encouraging. 
And weirdly enough, because I'm also Catholic, I'm excited because Biden has that Catholic nature about him where he is empathetic. He seems to be, he seems to care. He seems to be incredibly decent. Like when you imagine the fact that we are living at a time where 400,000 people have died because of the coronavirus and a president has yet to say something about it or even commemorate the lives that we've lost, it seems like Biden is the right person for this moment to bring us back from that darkness that has just been the past four years. Also, he's bringing somebody as his running mate, or now his his second in command, Kamala Harris, who is completely unlike Mike Pence. I think a lot of people forget that Mike Pence, when he was running, um, when he was even named as as Trump's running mate, that the thing that he was most associated with was religious freedom, conversion therapy, his anti-gay views, and kind of to Bill's point, you know, one of the things that we must have forgotten over the past few years was he's the architect behind the religious freedom executive order that happened two, three years ago, but because it was so many scandals ago and it was so many hurts ago, um, it's hard to quite focus on that. So it's exciting to know that Biden is the complete 180 of Trump and that Kamala is the complete 180 of Pence. And also just the fact that they're surrounding themselves with other people in their cabinet who feel that way is light years ahead of, of where we saw ourselves even just earlier this week. You know, Jorge, you had me when you said that we'll have somebody who cares at all. I feel like (laughs) that is where the bar is now uh, that I am just I am excited to hear that. I hope we never have to deal. I I hope that that doesn't have to be. I hope that the bar doesn't have to be just that somebody cares. You know, like I I hope we move to a place where, it. you know, we can be just like that feels refreshing to have somebody who cares and is compassionate um, beyond that. So uh, one of the things that this this made me think about, especially when you brought up Pence, was Um, just even the cultural acceptance, how we saw that get walked back and how even down to the words that a president chooses, how that can be important in terms of representation. For example, I was thinking about in one of Obama's inaugural addresses, how he said the word stonewall, um, how we would actually hear the Democratic candidates um, talk about transgender people in the debates and just how the rhetoric coming from um, Republicans is is so stark and especially from the Trump administration. So we talked a little bit about, um, we talked about uh, the COVID pandemic um, and uh, you mentioned uh, the Equality Act. Um, LGBTQ Nation actually reported that the pandemic and the second impeachment could be speed bumps to passing the Equality Act. Um, and and I really do want to talk about uh, this un- another unfortunate record that we've hit this past year um, with violence against trans people in particular. Um, HRC reported that a record 37 trans and gender nonconforming people were killed in 2020. That's the most since HRC began tracking this data. And it seems that every single year, this number gets higher and higher. Um, So Lala, um, you know, how do you think the Biden administration can address this? I think you have, first he needs to actually have, I watched, the beauty of it, I watched so many people during these town halls and through these presidential campaigns. I really wasn't invested in that way. I just, I would have voted for Scooby-Doo had Scooby-Doo ran. I just want that to be clear. Um, but it was so many people like Angelica Ross and Shea Diamond and Ashley Preston and Blossom Blossom and Baby Sociado that was really like on them at these town halls, which I've never seen that with any other presidency. And them actually endorsing them and, and actually even from the things that Elizabeth Warren was talking about. And so I think 
those are the people that need to be there on that journey to help answer those questions. I think that there has to be an intertwining of understanding that that this violence is wrong. It's transphobic, but some of it's also racial. <laughs> it's also health disparities. Yeah. It's all mm-hmm. these things that cause these elements to happen and that locking folks up is not just the answers if we're not addressing the root cause, which is um, this country's way of allowing men to know that we are disposable, that we are not real, that our feelings are invalid, that we're supposed to be treated this way. But then when Mm -hmm. they react, it's the same that Trump has done to his his supporters. It's the same thing with transphobia. And then when they get caught, we punish them by throwing them to jail. But no one's addressing the root causes that cause all of that to happen. And that the numbers are high and they're horrible. But also, I think it's because we're also in a place where it's so prone where people kind of know what to look, but the, also the numbers are also distorted due to misgendering. And so it's, when people always just say the numbers, I just get so, because it's like, even on the news with the, mm-hmm. corona, the um, you know, corona numbers, I hate when they just say the numbers. Yeah. Because it makes them not be people. We lost people. We lost yeah. 37 Black, mostly yeah. Black trans women for simply being who they are, like I am on this on this interview today. That's what people need to settle in. How would you feel if that was you? If you were simply being killed and taunted in every system for simply existing and breathing? And so I don't like numbers. I like to bring a humanizing aspect to it because when we just get numbers, then we become that. No, these were humans were lost. They were parts of us. They were our neighbors. They were our friends. They were our comrades. They were someone's mother, daughter, child niece and people forget about that yeah i think you raise such a good point that just even citing that number can be so dehumanizing and yet so often we do see it in the media um you know as a way of i i guess you know calling attention to this particular issue i mean are there is there anything really like that you would like to see biden and harris specifically do um in terms of uh trans issues um, or even that you would like to see uh, Congress do, like any concrete policies that you're thinking would really help address just all of these issues? Well, I, as um, I've shared a lot of things, I, in Trump's administration, there were so many great memories that had came across my, just through, that was bringing me joy throughout the four years, that it could possibly end or possibly not. But still, if it didn't end, I had moments that, you know, I was, I testified at the first congressional hearing at the Congress on trans violence, and particularly trans women of color violence. I would like to see like, what is the next step of that? I would actually like them to collect data to understand what happens, what are those root causes? I would like that, you know, there to be studies. I want to know how police investigate these things. Like, because I believe, I under, I'm sure that it's not due process. They come up and see one of my sisters gone. It's just, they're trying to figure it out. Once they figure it out, they're going to do the, the less. And I feel like there should be a process that we should know things faster. That you, you need to be learning how to be put pressure on people that our lives are important. I would like to see more people that look like myself, <laughs> more melanin skin. Like I said, there's a lot of anti-blackness within even government. When you see, I don't see people that look like me. The ones that look like me, they're they, they're deemed problematic, or it's just really really hard. So I would like to see people that look like me around those tables making those decisions about the lives of trans folks. I would really love to talk about a really good healthcare plan for trans mm. folks. So many of our folks, including myself, have had troubles navigating healthcare for things that I just need. 
that really needs to be addressed and for them to understand we are more than just HIV. We are more than just our deaths as well. We are parents. Trans folks are parents. Like trans mm-hmm. masculine guys and non-binary folks, they are impacted by reproductive health and reproductive rights as well. Decriminalization of sex work. All of these things, I feel like we need to just pull apart and dismantle. And gender markers. You know, people out here still can't even have their identification. So there's, there's so many things that we need to do. And I think that this administration can do it. I think they would get another four years by simply just doing these things. <laughs> I told whoever's mm-hmm. in charge, do everything the opposite of Trump and Pence, and you got you got to contend for your next <laughs> your next presidency. <laughs> we just got to come back to white supremacists, and we got to get some money though because you know they're coming for this reelection. Yeah. But if you do everything opposite of them, <laughs> you're gonna be pretty good. <laughs> Um, whoever is listening and thinking of funding campaigns <laughs> or running over the next four years, you heard it here first. This is what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, um, Jorge, one of the things you mentioned is uh, I think that you mentioned that you grew up on a border town. If you didn't mention it here, it's something that we've talked about before. We talked a little bit about um, the Trump administration's horrific immigration policies, some of Biden's and the Obama administration's legacy on immigration before that. Um, the Biden administration also uh, announced that they will begin to reunite families and children that were separated. Um how do you think, and one of the things that you mentioned is that you would really like to see them have, I guess, a more intersectional approach in terms of addressing the needs of LGBTQ immigrants. Um, and so talk to me a little bit about um, what do you think they could do to specifically uh, address LGBTQ uh, folks? So weirdly enough, there's been a, an ongoing conversation within the Latinx community about the use of Latinx. Um, but I think it says a lot that there are a lot of people who, who are running for president, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, um, and now Biden. But not only when were they running, they were putting their pronouns on their Twitter pages. They were making it known, especially Julian Castro. But by using the word Latinx, you're already showing that you're mindful of queer folks who are within the Latino community without using the X. Because since Latino, Latina, since that's very gendered in Spanish, Latinx has been used in order to be all-encompassing, all-inclusive of people who don't exist within those gender descriptions. Um, So I think just that, embracing a word like Latinx, whether or not, you know, purists will say that they shouldn't use that kind of word, it is already showing that there's an understanding that queer Latinx folks, folks exist, that they have issues that they care about, whether it be immigration, education, specifically healthcare, especially now that we're seeing... In, in L.A. County, which is very heavily Mexican and Latino, where you're seeing one in three people contract the coronavirus and not much is being done. Like a lot of this is impacting communities of color, specifically black and brown communities. And I'm just hoping that the people that are tapped by the Biden administration, because obviously, yes, we want Biden to do all sorts of things and have all sorts of decisions to make. But it's all going to be going down towards the education secretary, the commerce secretary, you know, this person in this particular agency. Um, And we just need to make sure that those people are mindful that intersectional beings exist and that, you know, looking at me, looking at Lala, looking at Bill, they don't automatically assume that the only thing that we care about are queer specific issues. Granted, we do, but that there are other facets of things that are top of mind for us 
that don't quite have a rainbow flag sticker attached to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, this is just making me think about uh, how the ways the ways that the Biden-Harris administration could be pushed on some of these issues as well. Um, you know, pushed to uh, think about things in less of a way in which people are siloed off in that way. Um, you know, to think about uh, to think about things in a more intersectional way in terms of a lot of their policies. Um, and so, I'd love to hear from y'all, like. Where do you think that they can be pushed on? And um, what do we want to see from them to know that they're living up to the promises that they made? Bill, maybe you want to start with this one. That's a really good question. How can we push them? I think one of the best ways is just holding them accountable. Uh, That was one of the things that I learned covering the Obama administration, especially with Vice President Biden, is it's okay to hold him to account. And I think that's something that he has actually shown throughout the campaign is if he's screwed up, say so. If, if there's something that he hasn't gotten done, say so. Um, and I think we need to be able to be sure to, to point out that just because something may not look like it's a queer issue, it frequently is, and how we tie into it. And we need to be speaking up on that issue as well. Yeah, Lala, what do you think? I saw you nodding along. I just completely agree with, you know, agree, agree with all of that. And it actually just re- resonates with me. I think that that is a part of the unifying. Like, it's easy to say, it's easy to get into uh, to those words. We, we went through four years of no action. Like, it's about really unifying. And with doing that, you're also unifying the country for them to understand our queer, our, that it's valid. It's not nothing that we made up. We're not here to take resources from you or we're not trying to allocate a different line because you're over here and we're over here. No, we're all just one. And and I think that unification of that we all have the same needs and wants and, and just we're just one of this thing. We all went this pandemic together. We all have lost people together. And so with losing as many people as we lost, that is the best way to unify. We have to start working together. It's time for the LGBT caucus within Congress now y'all can get to work. You know, four <laughs> years ago, y'all couldn't do anything. Y'all were, you know, now this is the time to utilize that moment and push for things for your legacy because everybody's supposed to be leaving a legacy here. And so that's what it's about, leaving this earth better than it was the time you were here. And so I think that's what it is. Everyone, it's like we were all like trapped in like this um, cage and like, okay, now it's go. We got to run, but we got to run smart. We got to run and we have good tactics and be really strategic about it. Why also unifying each other along the way and being intersectional as you talked about. Jorge, I want you to weigh in here as well. Um, what do you want to see uh, from the Biden administration um, to uh, know that they're living up to the promises that they made? I think the first thing that I would want them to do is understand that we are traumatized people right now, that not only because of what's happened with the pandemic are we traumatized, but we're traumatized over what we saw happen over four years of a Trump administration, whether that was seeing everything that was dismantled with regards to trans rights, whether it was seeing you know, somebody elevated to the second office of the land who believes that you can pray away the gay or that there were all sorts of court cases and hearings that were trying to make it more difficult for us to live our LGBTQ lives. Um, And even now, yes, we had that Supreme Court win in 2020, 
But that doesn't mean that we have the full protections that come with being individuals in this country. And so until the Equality Act is fully passed, until we have more representation, either within uh, administration positions or even as elected officials, then we're still dealing with trying to make sure that our voice is heard. But at that point, like kind of what I made a point about earlier, we're a traumatized voice. We're, we're a hurt voice and we're trying to find our way and we're trying to trust. It's very difficult for us to trust a, like any government official right now because we've seen what they can do when they've risen to the highest ranks of power. Um, and so I just hope that they're aware of that, that yes, we may have voted for them, but that doesn't mean that we're fully on board just yet because we want to make sure that they can lead us to understanding what life was like before, how we can be happier than it was before. Because if it's just going to be a continuation of hurt upon hurt, then nothing is ever going to get done. But I I really do get a good sense from Biden himself, since he is going to be at the top. And obviously, when you think about stuff like that, trickles down from the top, that he is mindful of these things. And he's going to be a little more careful with regards to how he approaches us, because he knows that We've been waiting for this moment, and I hope that he seizes this moment because we want him, we need him to. Yeah, when you were saying, um, I think you said it trickles down from the top. I was also thinking about how it also trickles from other places. And in particular, this year, we have seen people feel so activated um, by, you know, so many issues that have happened, um, whether it is the uh, inaction on the pandemic, whether it has been the police murders of Black people, um, whether it has been uh, state elections, too. Um, You know, I'm thinking about Georgia turning blue, people getting really engaged with local politics. Um, So I wonder at all, uh, how do y'all think that people can keep up the energy Um, even if they feel like there is an administration that is now listening or more sympathetic uh, to uh, what they want to see get done. Um, Are are y'all worried about complacency at all when it comes to these things as well? Because the other thing too is like, I know, you know, I know a lot of activists who they are exhausted. They have been working really, really, really hard. um, And just to even keep things sustainable, um, so, so I'm wondering, um, what do you what do you think people need to do to keep up uh, the protesting during the Biden administration? I would say the first thing is understand what you are comfortable with as your own proper person. Um, something that I think you and I, Alex, have talked about, especially when we were doing coverage for the women's march, is you know there's a lot of judgment about well, why aren't you carrying a side? Why aren't you at the women's march? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And sometimes we have to understand that that is not what people are called to. People are called to either online activism, people are called to financially being able to donate to different causes. There's so many different ways in which we can get our voices heard and get our politics out, that it doesn't necessarily require us being at the Capitol steps peacefully, as opposed to what we saw earlier this year, but peacefully going to the Capitol, peacefully protesting. There are people who are called to that, and God bless those people who are called to that, But there are other people who are called to other things, whether it is running for office, helping a local queer official try to win their local election. Those little things matter. And I think it's just it's 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 all a matter of figuring out what our own individual calling is with regards to how we're going to enact change, Um, because it's very difficult when you see everything around us and you want to be you know, you want to be able to jump on that bandwagon. That might not be the healthiest thing for you. And it might not be the healthiest thing for the cause because it might not be healthy for you. So just try to take a step, 
take a moment, be kind of truthful with yourself about what you're capable of doing, and then use that as your motivation to, to actually get stuff done. And I think it's important too to realize and point out for most people that, especially after the last four years, it is okay to take a break. Like everybody needs a break eventually every now and then. Um, you don't have to be posting on Facebook every day. You don't have to be marching in the streets once a week and sending out and signing petitions and everything. Like it's okay to have some me time. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, check out entirely for the rest of your life, but it's okay to take some personal time and realize that your own, as, as Jorge said, your own mental health is pretty damned important. I, I agree. And like I always say everyone has a role. And so once as an organizer, once you know your role, you just, you know, know what you have to do. But I always say it starts with yourself. You can't, you can't go to the state house. You can't go to the city. You can't go to the federal. If you walk three blocks of your neighborhood and it's transphobia every day and you say nothing and it's racism every day and you say nothing and there's xenophobia every day and you say nothing so it also starts with yourself before you can move and motivate other people you have to start with yourself your circle of friends your family members you got to still you know work on the people that are in your tribe every day and um i've seen so much activism from like new young you know leaders and i'm all right with that like i'm 42 now so i'm like I'm enjoying stepping back and just coming when like, they really, really need me or want me. I'm enjoying that. A couple of years ago, it wasn't that. It was like four or five years straight. I was just going, 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 going. It was just a couple of us on the center stage. Now it's so, it's because of that activation that there are so many. Now it's time to hone in their skill and give them some strategy and direction and uplift them and pour resources into them. We have so many queer folks that are ready it's about what are we going to do to invest in them. And so I would like to see that even the administration give those people opportunities that there are leaders who may not have the money or had to have the center stage, but are leaders in their communities back home that can still help your administration. So I don't want them to think that it has to be someone from the whole country to say, oh my gosh, we know so-and-so. It could be someone who don't nobody know, but that one person in the neighborhood knows them because they have the nuance, they have the strategy, and they have what is needed. It's about what's needed versus over what looks good. I want to see four years of a country and not a reality show on both sides, Republican and Democratic. You play a um, reality show on our time and we suffered for four years. It's time that you step up for us and, and run a country. <laughs> here, here. I mean, just uh, please no more reality show. Um, I also just love that you said everyone has their role to play because I feel like something that's been really cool, especially with seeing young people is like finding new ways to to make participating in these movements way more accessible to via online, or there are just so many different roles to play. So um, just that point that really resonated with me. Um, We are unfortunately running out of time with these questions. I feel like I could talk about this with um, all three of you forever, but I did have one more question to wrap things up. Um, It's a little bit uh, on a tongue in cheek note, which is that LGBTQ Nation had a funny story with suggestions of what Jared and Ivanka should do next. Um, Some of these suggestions were from they should go into reality TV to being Goya brand ambassadors. Um, Where would the three of you like to see these two banish to? That's what I want to know. Goya brand ambassadors has gotten me because (laughs) I, when I tell you the (laughs) amount of outrage among Latino circles, when the guy from Goya was like, yeah, I totally support everything that's happening here. Um, I, 
weirdly enough, I can't think of anything comical to say. I just honestly wish that Ivanka and Jared would go to where these cages are, where these kids have been for all this time and just see what they were complicit in and just understand Mm -hmm. that people's lives have been affected. People's families have been affected. You know, Ivanka said something like, oh my God, I'm so, she tweeted out something about being so excited to have been a parent and, and, you know, her and Jared were living this wonderful life. But in the course of her doing that, she knew that her father and everybody else that she was tied to was making that life more difficult for other people who were the same age, just different socioeconomic status, different race, different ethnicity. So I want them to have the like, visited from the three ghosts of Christmas past, future, and precedent, like have them understand that they are just not the people that are considered role models either then or now. And that they should just kind of go off into the sunset. I would just Mm -hmm. drop them off at whatever neighborhood, someplace where they wouldn't have access to anything and let them really experience life. Unfortunately, they have not experienced life. And they need to experience life or just crawl under the rock, under a rock and just leave it alone. But take away, I want their access and their resources to be taken away. Because people with that kind of resources that do things that violent ego do not deserve to have it. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're, if we're banishing them, uh, I guess I'd send them to whatever shithole country it was that Donald Trump was thinking about <laughs> when he made that comment. That seems like the appropriate place. Indeed. Well, look, I at least, uh, I do not want them to have one relaxing meal if they choose to, to return to New York City. Um, I do not want them to get book deals. I do not want them to get cable deals. I do not want them to get column deals. I do not want them to be accepted back into uh, any kind of public spaces that we're around. So on that note, before we go, each week, I'm going to talk about stories that are on the rise and we should be aware of in the coming weeks. LGBTQ Nation covers all the local state houses as they come online with new bills, both pro and anti-LGBTQ. LGBTQ Nation has reported that there are a whole bunch of bills at the state level that are targeting transgender young people. For example, Montana has two bills, one that bans trans youth from sports and could require women to undergo sex testing, and another that bars medical providers from treating gender dysphoria and providing gender-affirming care to youth. Um, There are a whole bunch of other states that have similar bills, and these bills are so dangerous because they stop trans young people from getting um, the care that they need, which can be, is not only medically necessary, it's life-saving and it's affirming. Um, And also these bills don't just hurt LGBTQ folk, but they hurt all young athletes because they're subjecting all different kinds of bodies to invasive testing And they're also creating a bar for women's performance. So they're saying that if a woman performs in a sport, if she is too good, too fast, too strong, then maybe we need to test her gender. All of these bills purport to protect women in sports, when in reality, they lead to more policing of all bodies and hurt young trans people. And I'm sure we'll continue to see legislation and conversation about them. On that note, I just want to thank you all so, so much for joining me and having this conversation. Um... But before we go, we have to see where can our listeners find you all? So you can follow me on social media at Jorge O, X-O-R-J-E-O. And all of the work that I do specifically with queer folks is at my website, heyjorge.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Goddess Queen Sister, Lala Zanel on Twitter and Facebook. And I also like give a lot of resources. So like on Instagram, I always look if you look for community events or what to do. Like my Instagram is like that central place where you get all that information. 
And you'll be surprised to learn that I am Bill Browning on, on Facebook or Bellerico on Twitter. And you can always read LGBTQ Nation. I'm, I'm there every day. Excellent. Well, thank you all so much. And to our listeners, please make sure to support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered by Katrina Hennings, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Gatz, John Hallback, Bill Browning, and Melissa Moss. Yeah.